0: Worth Repeating is made possible by the 8020 Foundation, the City of San Antonio Department of Arts and Culture, Do210.com, Real Ale Brewing Company, and Texas A&M University in San Antonio. Welcome to the Worth Repeating Podcast. This is the second part of our live storytelling event recorded at Texas Public Radio headquarters in the Malou and Carlos Alvarez Theater and Studio, along the newly opened San Pedro Creek. In this episode, we bring you the last three stories about being saved and saving. Our first storyteller is Leroy Adams. Leroy shares a story about civil unrest both inside and outside of his apartment.
1: I like to travel. I'm an avid traveler. Uh, A lifetime ago, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Ethiopia. And I told the Peace Corps there would be one thing that would make me early terminate, leave early, and that would be rats. (laughs) Um, So when I travel, there are two things I try to avoid, violent political protests and rats. And on this night in Ethiopia, I would come face to face with my two greatest fears. It was May 23rd, the night before the Ethiopian presidential election. Everybody thought that uh, you know there was peace and decency and calm was spread out the country. Nope, not at all. Weeks leading up to it, there were riots, there was violence, and so I'm sitting on my porch in my small Ethiopian town, watching my neighbors close their doors which was odd because it was daytime in Ethiopia. At morning, you open your door and you don't close it again until the nighttime. So here we are at two o'clock in the afternoon, everyone's closing their doors. And I can see off in the distance, the protesters entering the town, carrying torches, angry speakers on the vans, screaming TPLF, 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 Tigray People's Liberation Front. And so I got a text immediately from the Peace Corps and say, volunteers, code red, stay in your homes. If you have to be outside, avoid large crowds, but by any means necessary, remain in your home. And so there was on my porch, having just received that text, wondering what I should do. And so my neighbor, landlord, if you will, it's a community healer, priest in the community, he comes and he grabs me by my hand and he guides me into my house. And he locks the door from the outside. And he screams back into the door in his best broken Yoda English. (laughs) Open the door? No. (laughs) Okay. So you can hear the protesters coming in. Cars are crashing, windows being bashed, grass being burnt, young people screaming and yelling, TPLF, TPLF. So, I decided to drown out the noise and watch a movie. So, I got my laptop out and I put on Transformers. Five minutes into the movie, the power goes out. Welcome to Africa. The power goes out. So, I'm like, fuck, what am I gonna do? So, I decided to try to go to sleep. Maybe I can drown out the noise that way. So, I go to sleep. Ten minutes into my slumber, I hear pots and pans falling. Did I leave a window open? So I hop out of my bed, and as soon as I got out of my bed, the power came back on, revealing the cause of the noise. Not a window, not protesters, not transformers. goddamn rat <laughs> in my kitchen eating my Jiffy's peanut butter. If you've ever traveled, you understand how difficult it is to get cheese and peanut butter. My mother had just sent that to me, which is what I yelled to the rat, but he didn't fucking care. <laughs> he didn't care. So I ran back to my bed, scared of rats, watching this rat eat my Jiffy's peanut butter with his eyes on my Doritos. <laughs> so I had to take, decided to take my suitcases from under my bed and build a wall into the kitchen area to barricade, block this rat in. So suitcase by suitcase, wall, built, ran back to my bed, tried to go to sleep again the power goes out and as soon as the power goes out I was finally able to go to sleep five minutes later the power comes back on revealing the rat sitting on top of the wall of suitcases (laughs) and I'm looking at this rat so I take a shoe and I throw it the roll slowed down in that moment, because as the shoe was going to that rat, and I promise you it would have hit this rat, the rat leaped and jumped behind my bookcase. And I'm like, what the fuck am I dealing with this mutant rat <laughs> the size of a goddamn cat, like this? And so he lands behind my suitcase, this eight cat-sized rat with his eight-inch tail just swinging along. And for the next three hours, it's 10 o'clock. For the next three hours, I curled up in my bed, watching this rat swing its tail. The rat then runs behind my bed, and the power goes out. (laughs) Fuck. Where's this rat? So I'm in my bed like this. 30 minutes later, the power comes back on. I see the rat in the corner. The power goes back out. And as soon as the power goes back out, bang, TPLF, 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 protesters are kicking at my door. Peace Corps had warned us, as an American volunteer, you could be looked at as an opportunity and a moment of chaos. They're banging, and the power goes out again. For the next 30 minutes, I sat there in total darkness, No idea where this damn rat is. And the protesters, TPLF, TPLF, kicking at my door. Bang, darkness, bang, darkness, bang, darkness. I'm losing it. The power comes back on 30 minutes later, revealing the rat in the corner, shivering, because he too was afraid of the protesters. (laughs) I didn't give a damn. I want you out, is what I told the rat. I was so exhausted, so delirious. I had been up all day, and I'm sitting there looking at this rat eye to eye. I'm not going to win this battle, so what do I do? I did the only thing I could do. I grabbed a blanket, I grabbed a book, and I climbed out of one of my windows. <laughs> and I told the rat, bro, this is your crib. Have it. <laughs> it's on you, homie. And so I walk into the middle of the street. Right By this time, it's about 1 in the morning. Protesters have gone on, burning bushes everywhere, beat down cars, broken glasses, a few people straggling. No violence or danger in the area. So I grab, I sit next to a pole, put my blanket over myself, and I fall asleep. About 30 minutes later, someone shakes me awake. And I look up, it's one of my students. And he says, Teacher Lordy, why are you sleeping on the pole? So I explain to him the rat situation. He pulls out his phone, makes a call, says, come with me. By this time, there are hundreds of villagers behind us walking into the direction of my home. They are no longer protesters. They are my rescue team. (laughs) They are coming to rid my house of this rat. My landlord's daughter, fourth grader, tiny little girl, joins the crowd. Stay back. She runs into the house, (laughs) steps out of the front door, Rat! <laughs> and she pulls me. She says, Teacher Lori, come here, come here. And she takes me into my house and she points at black dots on the floor and says, Anchewa, rat in Ethiopian. mm-mm. <clears throat> what do you mean? <clears> she says, <clears throat> Are you telling me this anchoa, this rat has been shitting here for weeks? <laughs> Poop, yes. So, the next day in the town, the story was not about the protesters. It was not <laughs> about the violence. The story was, Teacher Lordy, the American teacher, is afraid of an anti-viscy little anchoa, which was this damn size. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Our next storyteller is Jim Barber. Jim shares a story about how a little piece of paper saved him from being stranded.
2: Um, so my story takes place uh, back in about 1999. Um, I would, had just quit um, a soul-crushing job in human resources and <laughs> had moved to Guadalajara, Mexico for as long as my savings would support me Um, and while I'm there my parents uh, came down and they invited me to join them in Puerto Vallarta for the weekend which is about a four-hour bus ride down from Guadalajara so I'm stoked Um, they get there like on a Friday and I leave uh, Saturday morning to go join them at the beach in PV now we're staying at a all-inclusive resort and my parents are pretty generous when they're on vacation And since I'm living off my savings, I'm like, all right, I don't need to bring much, like a swimsuit, two changes of clothes, and money to drink for two days. And that's it. Um, I don't even bring my debit card, which you're going to find out is a huge mistake. Um, So I get on the bus. I get to Puerto Vallarta, and we have a great day. Um, My parents take us out in a pirate ship. We eat. I hang out with my sister. Um, and then that night, you know, my parents go to bed and I'm like, all right, we're going to the gay bars. Let's do this. Like it's, it's your job as a gay brother to take your sister out, um, show her a good time. So we go out, um, we have a blast. We're meeting people, we're drinking, like we're laughing. Everything's great. Um, until Sunday morning, uh, I wake up. And I feel terrible and not not like hungover terrible. I know what hungover terrible feels like. I am barfing, I'm sweating, um, I can't keep anything down, but I am there's no way I'm gonna miss brunch <laughs> And I am sure that I can pull it off, and so like I clean myself up, I get to my parents' room, and I'm still like trying to... To like be chill about it, and I throw up twice, and I'm just like, oh no, I'm I'm cool. I'm, let's let's do this. Um, and finally, my parents like, dude, we're you're you're not going to brunch. You need to see a doctor. So they bring a doctor in, checks me out. 20 minutes later, I'm in an ambulance to the hospital. Driving right past brunch. <laughs> so. I realize that's not happening, and we get to the hospital, and um, they check me in. They put in my IVs and the whole thing, and and they're like, he's going to need to be here for a few days, and I'm like, all right, you know, and my family's there, and we're hanging out. We're talking, and my sister spends the afternoon reminding me how I've ruined brunch (laughs) for everybody. Um, So we get through it, and then that night, you know, I, I go to bed, and I'm thinking, all right, in the morning, you know, they'll come back. And I'll see them. This is gonna be fine. Well, I wake up and I see like the clothes that I was in, kind of like stacked on a chair. And um, I ask, I'm like, "Hey, so if my parents come by?" And the kind of nurses look at each other. And the doctor comes in. He's like, "Um, they left." I'm like, "Yeah, I'd go back to the hotel, of course." But like, are they coming back? He's like, "They went back to the United States." What they failed to realize is that I don't have a bus ticket for the four hours back to Guadalajara where I'm from. I have maybe $10 in my pocket and the clothes that I was puking and sweating in the day before because I had to, to pack my room. So my sister was just like, well, I'll just take his stuff. He's going to be fine. Um, So... I'm like, all right. So I get through my day in the hospital, and they, they release me, and I put back on my clothes, and there's sort of this awkward moment at the front desk when I'm sort of hanging out, and they're like, well, you know, you can go. And I'm like, "Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's 1999. I don't have a credit card. I don't have a cell phone. But I reach into my pants, and I'm kind of trying to see how much money I've got, and there's this little yellow slip with a phone number. And it just says, Jose, and a few numbers. Now, in this moment, I could not tell you who Jose was. But I called Jose. Um, and in my terrible, broken Spanish managed to sound breezy, like, hey, so what's up? You want, you want to hang out, and he, miraculously he's like, "Yeah, sure, that's cool." He's like, "Well, where are you?" And I'm like, "Um, you know where the hospital is, like." <laughs> so, he said yes. So apparently I've made some kind of impression on him, and you know I hang up the phone, and the lady at the front desk is kind of giving me this look, and I'm like, "Look, I don't know how to say my parents abandoned me in a Mexican hospital in Spanish," and. You got to play the cards you've been dealt. So here we are. So I go outside and I'm waiting, and it's, you know, sunset. It's real pretty, cobblestone streets. Kids are playing, you know, kickball. And this little black Volkswagen pulls up um, because I made a point of asking him what he drove. So it wasn't awkward when I didn't recognize him. (laughs) And He pulls up and uh, opens opens the door, and I peek in. And thankfully, he's just this nice-looking kind of guy, sort of 30-something, glasses, not threatening, which at this point, um, we're good. So I just kind of take a deep breath, and I get in the car with this stranger. And I'm like, at first, I'm trying to keep it real breezy. Um, But I catch the sight of myself in the mirror, and I hadn't showered. And I'm wearing the clothes that I had been sick in for like days. And so I finally just kind of cop to it and I'm like, hey man, to be honest with you, um, I don't have any money. Um I don't have a ticket home to get back to Guadalajara. Um you know, I'm cool to hang out, uh, but if, <laughs> if I could get a shower, that would be great. And you know, it's, I mean, I'm sure he's thinking, wow, like I haven't even bought this guy a drink and he's already ready for a shower. So this is when his car like, turns away from going towards like, the restaurant district and turns towards like a warehouse district. And it's starting to get darker. And he parks in front of what appears to be an abandoned warehouse. So at this point, I'm thinking, well, I may have to do some things today that I wasn't planning on doing. <laughs> but I'm going to get home. And he explains to me, he's like, my parents don't know I'm gay. How am I going to show up with you at their house and tell them that you need a shower? So I'm like, understood. So I go in this warehouse. And it's not even like a bathroom shower. It's like an open shower in the middle of this warehouse. But I still, like, I got no options. So I take a shower and dress. And then he kind of comes up behind me and says, aren't you scared I'm going to hurt you? And I'm like, well, I wasn't <laughs> until you said that to me. But as it happens, though, he was a really sweet guy. He hands me towels, smelled like swabatelle, and like gave me clothes to wear, and took me down to back to the dist- you know where all the bars are, and I started seeing people and lights again, and feeling a lot better about the situation. Um, he bought me dinner and then excused himself and came back um, with a bus ticket. Aww. And so he, we eat, and he's like, how about, how about that drink? And so we have one drink while we're kind of waiting for the bus. And um, when it's time to go, he handed me my bus ticket, even like cab fare, to get back from my the bus station to my house in Guadalajara. And you know, I said, you know, good night. I don't even think I hugged him. We're just like, thank you. Um, <laughs> And you know, I went back home and you know came back to the States and started sort of the next chapter of my life. But, you know, wherever Jose is now, uh, thank you, Jose. So yeah.
0: our last storyteller is Alex Alcocer. Alex shares a story about how important it is to go with the flow.
3: Hi, good evening, everyone. Uh, I grew up in the neighborhood around uh, McCullough and Oblate, just north of Oblate. If you're familiar with that neighborhood, Springwood, Waxwood, Shadywood, we lived on a little street that was parallel to McCullough that had a ditch in our backyard or the backyard. And then there was a ditch uh, back there. And this was about uh, 1984, 83. I was about seven or eight years old, and it was raining. And at the time, my best friend at the time that lived down the street, we decided, hey, let's go out and play in the rain. And then we ended up, hey, let's go play in the ditch. So it was kind of slippery, and we would jump in on one side of the street, kind of slide down the rocks, and then we would jump out on the other side of the street. It's a little Mexican Schlitterbahn, if (laughs) if you know what it is. You know, it was perfect. Just jump in and jump out, jump in jump out. So it was raining. It was raining. And I think uh, what happened was north of, of where we were, I think the city had opened up the floodgates to let the water pass through. So at the time, I told my friend, he's like, come on, let's go home. And I was like, no, no, no I'm going to do it one more time. I'm going to do it one more time. And so as soon as I jumped in, uh, I looked kind of over my shoulder, and there's just a wall of water rushing towards me. And so I'm like, oh, shit. And it, before I could even think, it kind of took me away. So immediately, I tried to start to reach for the vegetation and stuff that was growing out of the sides of the ditch. But all of the vines, thorns, were facing the opposite way. So as soon as you grabbed it, you would just get thorns, thorns, thorns all through your hand. So I couldn't get out. So my friend, he was out. He was already out. I looked at him. He's kind of on the, on the street, and he looks at me, and we're like, I'm in trouble. Oh, shit. And then there I go. So I get swept away going through the neighborhoods and uh, <laughs> going under streets and, and stuff. And I knew I couldn't, I couldn't get myself out, so I decided, I, not decided, I knew I was a pretty good swimmer. And so I said, well, let me just go with the flow. I'm just going to swim with the current and kind of figure this out. And uh, just so you guys kind of have an idea, where I started out was, like I said, north of Oblate, and where I ended up was at the golf course over by Olmos on on the other side of the hill. And so there I go. I'm going through the streets and and under the streets and stuff, and I come across into – I see one of the streets – Uh, has these three cement pillars that are coming down into the ditch, and I'm thinking there's no way I'm going to make, if I slam into this wall, I'm dead for sure, so I took a deep breath, I went under, and then when I came back up, I looked over my shoulder and I was through it. I don't know which one I went through or how or what, but I was through it. So here I go, keep going, going through. And finally, there's a, an area close to the golf course where it kind of widens and the current slows down naturally. And so it was big enough to where I could swim to the side and uh, I'm holding onto a branch and I'm screaming, help, help. I've got branches on my ears. I lost a shoe. I had leaves everywhere. I'm screaming, help, help, help. And this is embarrassing. Uh, in order to keep myself calm, I started to sing My Country Tis of Thee <laughs> to myself. I mean, I'm eight. I don't know. I'm eight. So, <laughs> so I'm singing My Country Tis of Thee. I'm yelling for help, help, help. And uh, there was an, an old lady that, whose house looked onto the golf course who was standing outside watching the rain. And she hears me. Very old lady. And she starts walking towards me. And I'm like, no, no, get back, get back, no, no, no. She's coming to try and help me. And so she goes, I'm gonna go get my grandson. And I'm like, what the fuck am I gonna do with the grandson? I need a grandson. <laughs> so so when he came out, I don't remember exactly the details of what he looked like. I just remember he was tall, blonde, muscular, huge, six-foot Nordic guy. Like, oh, fucking thank God. So so he comes out. He comes out. He kind of looks, and he kind of does this, like, looking around. He runs back inside his house, and he gets an extension cord. And he comes back out, and he ties himself off to a telephone pole. And then he gets in behind me. And he says, "Okay, let go." And I'm like, uh, "Let go!" I'm like, "No!" He's like, "Let go!" So I let go, and I kind of drifted right towards him into his arms, and we—he pulled me up, and I'm like I said, I'm shoeless, shorts, branches everywhere. And so he goes, "Are you okay?" I said, "Yes." He's like, "Can we give you a ride home?" I said, "Yes, that's fine." So him and his girlfriend. And we get in this car, and we're going, uh, again, if you're familiar with that area, we're kind of up the hill of McCullough, and then you get to the top, and you come down. Well, as soon as we get to the top, and you kind of look down, there's all these ambulances and fire trucks and police, I mean, they're like lighting up the neighborhood. They're going back and forth and back and forth. He looks at me, and I look at him, and we don't even say a word. We're just <laughs> like, fuck, they're looking for me. So he doesn't say a word, I don't say a word, we just like ignore it. You know? <laughs> so finally, we get back to my house. And he's like, do you want me to come in and tell your parents? Are you OK? And I'm like, no, 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 no. At the time, my my dad was like home alone. My mom, I think, was at solo serve, right? Solo serve? Yeah? She's a fucking solo serve. And so my dad, he's reading the paper, and he kind of does one of these. I walk into the house, and he kind of looks over, and then he goes back to reading the paper. (laughs) Doesn't even notice me. So I, you know, go straight to the shower and start washing off all this debris and stuff. So I'm in the shower. And while I'm in there, there's a knock on the door. And uh, my dad answers the door. And it was my best friend and his dad at the door. And he goes... Mr. Alkister, Mr. Alkister, Alex is dead. Alex is dead. Crying, grown man crying, and he was like, "We fell in the ditch." he'd been going up and down 281 looking for me to come out somewhere. And my dad is like, "No, he's in the shower. He's taking a shower."
0: Yeah.
3: So I come out, I come out, and my dad is like, what the hell happened? (laughs) So later on, uh, it made the front page of the newspaper. There's a newspaper clipping somewhere. Uh, The guy ended up getting a commendation from the city. The fire chief uh, gave him a... There's a picture of me somewhere in our house with him, the guy, my parents, and the mayor and all this shit. And uh, (laughs) my parents... Also, my dad, my parents made me go to everyone's house that called 911 in my neighborhood and tell them thank you for calling 911 on me. Yeah, for, for doing all that. So we went, I we met all the neighbors and stuff. Uh, later, later on, years later, uh, I was at a little corner store with my dad and I heard somebody say, Alex? And I looked up, and it was the guy. And I again, I still didn't recognize him. And he recognized my dad. And they said, "Hi, how's Grandma? Grandma died, and still living at the house and stuff." This is years, years, many years later. And uh, you know, we kind of caught up a little bit and stuff. But that's my rescue story worth repeating.
0: That's it for the Worth Repeating podcast. You can get ticketing information for our next live event by visiting tpr.org WR or submit a story you'd like to tell. If you know someone that has a great story, tell them about Worth Repeating. Worth Repeating returns on March 14th and the theme is covers. Books, magazines, or newspaper covers, whether you're covering for a friend or covering the spread, we've got you covered on March 14th. Worth Repeating is made possible by the 8020 Foundation, City of San Antonio Department of Arts and Culture, Do210.com, Real Ale Brewing Company, and Texas A&M University at San Antonio. Worth Repeating is a production of Texas Public Radio. Thank you for listening. I'm Tori Poole.